topic. Next topic. Yeah. I guess more specifically, um, we'll co- dive into church hurt and and deconstruction, and we can take those. Let's do church hurt first. So, um, let's go. What is it? And and I, the, the problem is, I think there's two or even possibly three definitions of what it is. There's like versions of it. Like I, on on the notes, I say legitimate versus illegitimate, because um, I think that some are. I think the phraseology of church hurt is illegitimate for their circumstance. And sometimes it's not strong enough. And so, um, cause then you want to go into the church abuse area. Um, cause then well, that's what hurts them. But anyway, so what is church hurt? Um, what are you guys seeing in the culture? Cause it's a, it's a phrase that's coming up a lot. Why are we talking about it? Why is it something to, um, know about? So I think it's really hard to talk about church hurt without talking about church abuse. Yeah. Just because there's been so much, right? So I think there has to be this delineation where um, church abuse is valid. It's been rampant. Um, And I think we have to, as a church, we have to acknowledge that, that there's a lot of people who um, have experienced abuse in church. Um, and that, that's a whole separate issue. Um, there's a lot to work through with that to get back to church feeling safe and feeling okay. I think, um, church hurt, uh, sometimes gets defined, uh, under that same category and it shouldn't, um, church hurt in, in, like you said, why there's lots of definition, different definitions mm-hmm. of it, but church hurt really is about um, things that have caused pain being in church. So church people, church staff, church environments have caused pain for somebody, um, but but didn't cross that line into abusive. It was just painful for them, um, and the 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 spectrum of that pain, just like any pain, is wide. And um, pain, and I'm not a psychologist, but um, I have a, had to use a few counselors over the last few years. And, you know, there's this spectrum of pain that we, we can't um, tell somebody what their pain level is, right? Or, or we can't look at their circumstance and say, um, I think that's this level of pain. Their pain is their pain. Sure. So church hurt um, is what people say it is. But what I do think is that their um, church hurt can be used as a um, blanket covering for walking away from church altogether. And um, it's kind of like the word you know, trauma. Exactly. Because yes. I'm sorry, but like every 30 year old girl down s- says that every small thing is like trauma. Trauma. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, okay, that's not, you're not traumatized. That's, that's, that's the psychologizing of all of our phrases. Um, yes. Sorry, but yeah. So it's that difference between um, being offended or something that needs forgiveness. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think the local church should be the place where we learn how to walk through suffering and hurt in the way 
that scripture and Jesus modeled. So if if we're walking away and not walking through that process of reconciliation and forgiveness and uh, if it makes sense, restoration, then we never learn how to do those things well in the body of Christ, right? So if you just take your toys and go home and never walk fully through that process, um, it's probably pretty likely that's going to happen again somewhere else. And because humans are what make up church, right? Mm -hmm. So no matter where you go, you're going to have hurt and, and pain and church pain. Um, you know, I grew up in a church where, uh, a lot of great things like we just talked about, but I was abused by the pastor, a pastor of that church. That's abuse. That's not a place to remain under someone where that's been abusive. Right. Um, but I've also been in churches, uh, when I entered back into a church in California where, um, there were things that happened that I was offended by and really, really hurt. And so I walked away and I went to the next church. And I think three, four churches later, right, I, I never learned the tools of in a church environment, walking through that place of reconciliation um, and forgiveness. It takes time. And, and whoever said that church wasn't a place where you were going to have some suffering like that. That's part of humans being together. That's even part of the early church. You know, they, they had disagreements and hurt, but we're called to, as Christ followers, to walk that out in a way that's healthy, just like we're called to do that in our own families. And, um, you know, I, I often say, like, if, I, if I'm mad at my sister, I'm not going to just, like, disown her. We've been mad at each other a lot, thank goodness. Um, so I don't have a choice. In my, in my mind, I don't have a choice. Like, she's my sister. I'm going to walk that out. We should have that same mindset around church hurt in the local church that, you know, this hurts, and, I'm, and I, I don't get it, and it, it makes me mad. But we have to be able to learn those skills of, and I'm talking to me too, <laughs> have to be able to learn those skills to be able to come to Wyatt and say, hey, Wyatt, when this happened, that was really hurtful. And here's why that's hurtful. And let's let's walk through that. But we don't we don't do that. We don't do that well anymore. And I think people recognize that we don't do that. And so then it compounds their view, their negative view of a local church. And I honestly think it's one of those things that lead people into that cycle of deconstruction. I know exactly what you're talking about. And that, and that actually, not so much now, but a lot when I was in high school, I give people a hard time and I'm never doing it because I genuinely want to like hurt someone's feelings, but sometimes I can give them too hard of a time, right? <clears throat> well, I wouldn't, then ye a year would go by and then all of a sudden a person would like blow up on me and I'm like, well, I'm not trying to be a monster. I didn't know. Like uh, you, maybe I should have known, but I didn't. I needed you to tell me. I don't not, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. And of course, I apologize. I was still in the wrong or whatever. But I was like, if I had known so much earlier, you wouldn't have had to deal with this for a year, you know? So I know yeah, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, we, we, to, uh, I guess, have that conflict. So you to know say. that as, as much as it depends on me, We're keep only. the peace. Yeah. 
as much as it depends on me. So it has to come back to each one of us individually being willing that self-sacrifice. You know, I think last podcast we talked about submission, but I won't, I won't bring that. But it is that self-sacrifice part of that. I mean, that is what submission is, is self-sacrifice, you know, is being willing to say, I'm, I don't think I did it. I don't think I hurt you, but we have to be willing also on our end to say, as much as it depends on me, I'm just going to, I'm going to hear you out and you're going to hear me out. And we're going to have that conversation until we get to a point where we can interact again as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think we've lost the ability, this girl included, lost the ability to do that over the long haul. You know, we, we give it our best shot, and then we go, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> so now we're done. Yeah, because it's just so much easier to go elsewhere. Yep. You have thoughts before I talk again? I do have thoughts. I might need some clarification. Um, I'm not. I'm not being facetious. I'm asking curiosity. Is there such thing as work hurt? Work hurt. Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean, it's not a coined phrase. No, but, it's not. But yeah. is there such a thing as work hurt? Sure. Uh, is there school hurt? Sure. Is there? Well, certainly, family hurt. Sure. Friendship hurt. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm kind of confused. Is What's church hurt, meaning the church as an institution has created some sort of pain versus a person just encountered a relationship at church that introduced pain? You see the difference? This is where it I gets do. down into the weeds. It does get in the weeds. Um, so I, when when... When I saw this topic, church hurt on the sheet, I just had something different in mind than a little bit of like the illustrations you were using. Um, I certainly know of know about church abuse. That's where somebody in the church has used their authority to take some sort of advantage of somebody, whether that's physically, emotionally. Um, also, I'm aware of like a toxic kind of church. It's it would never call it this, but it's kind of cultish in its attitude and behavior and becomes very manipulative and controlling and domineering and creates creates hurt that way because it's toxic. But this idea of somebody in the life of the church, like just like another member, like somebody in my small group, they said something, they did something that hurts my feelings or creates you know, some upheaval inside of me. I don't think of that as church hurt. I just think of that as relational hurt that happens at church. Does that make sense? Yes. So yes. help me if I'm like not no, understanding. I, I think that's a really good clarification. Um, I think there is a, um, Yes, ultimately, it usually ends up being an individual to individual, but I think there's a belief that there's a culture that was created by the church that allowed the attitudes that then they bumped up against or the mentality that they bumped up against. So um, you said it already a little bit is, you know, some 
power structures or um, bringing in, you know, things into the church of the world that they don't feel should be in the church. Um, I think part of it, too, is because of the values that we espouse. So a lot of this comes down to, like, I think the church hurt is the what could then be levied at the church that hurt people is some kind of act of hypocrisy to a certain degree. And so, and again, I think that that there are some times where those, a lot of the times where those things are legitimate and sometimes, um, not as much, particularly, I think with a lot of younger people now, um, Because, like, for instance, with my sermon, I talked to the whole bunch about how we put all of our eggs into this idea that God is just love. Then anything, well, because now we see love as being yeah. radically accepting anything I ever say about myself yes. and who I define myself to be. Well, if that church or anybody in it doesn't act loving by my definition of right. myself and love, well, now that's a churcher and that church espouses to love as being their highest value. So now they both committed an act of hypocrisy and harmed me right. and hurt me. That's what I mean by um, legitimate and illegitimate. And, and I think, too, because like your workplace probably doesn't espouse to the same level of values that the church does, right? Yeah, I, I wrote a note in my, um, my notes here about the fact that, yes, the, the church as a, as a community probably has an increased risk of harm that it can create because we come into it with an expectation. These are God's people. This is God's values, God's truth. So when somebody in this, you know, God environment treats me in a way that's very ungodly, then it just carries a, a stronger hurt than maybe you might expect at your workplace or at your school, just because it, it's a different institution, different set of values, different. But then really what it is is a different set of expectations. You come to church expecting that everybody's going to treat you in a, you know, fair, loving, kind, compassionate way. And when that doesn't happen, that's really confusing and probably more painful and, and hurtful. But I'm still trying to distinguish between relational hurt and institutional hurt that the church creates. Uh, so much of those have become put together, I think almost because it's like, um, what, what relational hurt? Like, okay. So if you're on a stage, is that institutional hurt? Uh, so like if someone's upset with you and says that you hurt them, this is something that you've talked about on recent podcasts. Yes. That, that I go an institutional you. nature. So that's an institutional nature, but it also just happened from like one person on a institutional because you're the pastor. Right. But like if anyone else in the crowd said the exact same thing, that would, I think that would still be classified as church hurt because they're, they're they happened. are a part of the institution yes. that espouses such things, which is why I think church. Probably yeah, I'm just, I'm just really just trying to get clarification on how you guys are understanding yeah, and that term. I mean, it's a whole other direction and a much bigger conversation, but there is, you know, a lot of um, dialogue about just evangelicalism. So um, 
which would be the institutional part of that about power structures and um, how we disseminate uh, information or how we talk about Jesus or how we talk about salvation. Um, that, and that's where you get into the conversation around deconstruction is, are we deconstructing all things evangelical, all things church, or are we just deconstructing the faith that we were handed as a child or a new believer to truly understand it and is ourselves? So that's, you know, institutional deconstruction versus like just my personal faith deconstruction. Well, like, I know those people exist. I've yet to like, I've yet to meet anyone who does that and calls it deconstruction. I've yet to see anybody who like, uh, who, who says, yeah, I deconstructed my faith when all that really meant was I got rid of some of the more like actually, uh, you know, it's, it's against the doctrine or it's not biblical or whatever. Those like more pernicious thing, the, the cult kind of behavior, whatever pernicious, I always say it. Yeah. Um, I'd like, like to see how many podcasts we've done that you use I the say word that. pernicious. I need to just clip them and put them into a video. And then we just have That'd like this reel of you going pernicious, 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 pernicious. pernicious. <laughs> but he, well, I, anyways, your point. But, so, I've okay, maybe they have, but everybody, I all, um, I'm not convinced that the the population of people who say that they've deconstructed is um, people just kind of doing away with some of the like actual unbiblical negative things that they made up growing up with. They may have also done that, but it also 90% of the time comes with something else that makes their faith fit the culture better. Hmm. Almost every, every single person I've talked to is particularly around identity and sexuality. Those are almost always in the same basket. I have yet to meet people who like, yeah, well, I used to think that, you know, Jesus wasn't God, but I deconstructed and I believe he's God now. I feel like that type of thing. Does that make sense? Am I? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> um, so deconstruction of, um, of church is deconstruction of church is I, I think that the structure of church, especially in Western America, um, is, uh, it's not what Christ meant. And if that's what he meant, then I want nothing to do with Christ. Like that's one, one avenue of deconstruction that's happening is I see Christians, I see the church. I don't want any part of that. Like I thought I did, but what I'm actually seeing walked out. So I grew up as a Christ follower. I became a Christ follower. But when I've watched that walked out in church or church people or Christ followers, that doesn't reconcile with what I thought Christ was, and I'm out. I'm out. I don't want any part of that. Or there's the deconstruction that is, this is the faith that I grew up with. I was handed. Um, this is um, my dad's church, my dad's faith or whatever. Um, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm realizing, um, you know, I read something in Scripture that I'm like, well, that's not, that's not what I was told, or that's not what I thought that meant or a discovery seminary will mess you up like that. <laughs> like, Oh wow. That really is not 
I didn't know that that was the Hebrew, right? That, that mm. kind of, I didn't know that's what that word meant or whatever, right? Right. So, you know, we have this belief about our faith that suddenly we're like, okay, I really have to understand what I, what I know and what I believe about the Jesus that I follow. That's deconstructing my, my faith. So, so I know people who've done that. None of them ever used the phrase of deconstruction, no. particularly because of the philosophies from which it stems from outside of the church, because it comes from a whole bunch of real, like I said, scallywags before we got started, real nasty fellows and um, their intentions were not good. And they were always wrapped up in other dangerous philosophies that I don't think uh, were, were by any means good. Um, so I guess that, that was, that was the differentiation that I was trying to make is that I've yet to meet anyone using the term deconstruction and it be uh, <clears throat> empty of heresy, so essentially. Yeah. By nature, uh, I think. Guess we'll see. I started in so confident and then I was like, um, by nature, deconstruction is about pulling stuff apart and looking at it in a new or different way. And it seems like the pattern is the way it's most often used is I pulled my faith apart and examined it and found it lacking. So now I'm walking away from it. That's largely how deconstruction happened. What you're describing is I pulled it apart and I found out I had some misinformation and I reconsidered how I'd go about understanding or living out my faith. Well, that's actually in the positive direction. You're becoming, it's a good thing. You're becoming a sharper, more devoted follower of Jesus because you looked at basically, I'm not saying somebody lied to you, but you, you misunderstood or it wasn't presented clearly. And you grew up with a mistaken belief. I'm what I see whenever deconstruction, whether the words used or not, or it's just the act. It's basically saying, I don't like what I learned. I don't like its implications or the accountability for it. So now I'm saying I deconstructed it. I found it. I didn't agree with it or didn't like it. And now I didn't like the accountability. So I'm moving away from it. Rarely do you see deconstruction moving you toward good and better. Yeah. I've it's never almost... met somebody deconstructed and become more philosophically conservative. It's always one direction. Is that what you were saying earlier? Yes. I said it makes it. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's always one direction. I'm not talking political. I'm talking philosophical. Um, it's always one direction. It's never more toward like, they never like, yeah, now I'm like really strong on the creeds, you know, yeah. it's never that. <laughs> yeah. That uses the phrase people do it and it might work. But I think, I think to what you said, the accountability part, because the deconstruction outside of the church, there's like the philosophy of it. It's from a whole bunch of people who we're in this bigger movement and, and it is kind of tied to critical theory and those types of things. But like, it's a tossing away of any kind of authority or meaning outside of the individual. And so going back to like yeah. where we've so individualized everything, well, it, it, if the meaning lies within me and not with what is on the page or a more objective truth, then, um, that's why that I think tends to be the case. Yeah. My understanding of the history, the historical idea of deconstruction is throwing off any kind of accountability, responsibility to a standard of truth. It's, it's essentially progressivism in a, 
you know, in its ideology. So it's to say, well, I'm throwing off the restrictions and the, the boundaries of, you know, traditional religion. I deconstructed that. I found it disappointing and, and, uh, I didn't like it. So now I'm going to be freer in how I go about you know, living my life and understanding spiritual pursuit. Um, so I, I rarely ever see deconstruction used in a positive sense. It's almost always moving away from you know, something negative. Um, maybe it's reconstruction when what you're describing is I, I challenged a belief I grew up with. I found it lacking. And I came to a clear understanding of historical doctrine of what I believe to be true about God. Does that make sense? It does. I, you know, it's probably the circles you swim in, Yeah. right, to some extent. Um, the circles I'm swimming in right now, um, the classes I sit in are pastors from all over the country and some around the world. And so um, listening to, you know, some of their journeys of deconstruction and it it isn't necessarily about um progressivism as it is about um ways that scripture and faith have been used um as weapons or um certain um division that has uh, arisen because of people being tied to, you know, a particular scripture pulled out or a particular word translated yeah. differently. And suddenly, um, uh, you know, just one silly example, I heard um, someone say uh, the other day, when I discovered or heard that, um, you know, the book of James was not named the book of James. It originally was Jacob. And so, you know, it said, when I discovered that that was changed, when the King James translation was, um, was created in honor of King James, it struck something in me that caused me to, to, to deconstruct my faith. So what else? Mm. What else? You know, it sort of opened up that Pandora's box of, of looking more carefully at uh, what scripture has to say. Um, that's just a silly example, but there's others of, you know, the ways in which, um, scripture has been utilized, um, sure. in an unhealthy way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So they're like, and you could look at the issues of gender and women in ministry. You could look at the idea of, you know, submission, those, those, they have separated people, entire denominations. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff needs to be examined and pulled apart and and found what are the I like to use historic because I think there is something historical to the faith of Christians. Or historical Christian orthodoxy, right? Yeah. So landing there instead of instead of something more in my mind progressive away from it but toward it, I think are Well and here here's why I bring that up because I think this next generation is very studious like there's oh, yeah. a there they have access to so much information and they just know more and they understand more and so um you know when we as a church tell them one thing and they discover something else sure um I, 
I don't know that that's necessarily moving towards progressiveness. Does that happen? Absolutely. But I think it's a little bit of a, um, a trust issue yeah. that, no, I that agree. becomes a problem um, yeah. for, the, for the church. No, I agree. Um, I agree, too. Uh, like, whenever I'm talking with a lot of these people, um, because a lot of them are my age, and like, so, like, let's say half of what they're doing is getting rid of the things that I don't, I don't even believe. I'm like, yeah, I don't believe that about like Christianity. That's that's not true, or it's you know a manipulation of scripture. But it always like it always comes back around to like they're they're every single person that I listen to that's I guess maybe whether they call it deconstruction or not, they're trying to find or attempt to justify something around gender and sexuality. Uh, for some reason, that is almost intrinsically linked to people who advertise that they're deconstructing and use the phrase. Um, so let me ask you a question, Wyatt. Is it justify or is it um, there's an expectation about how uh, Christ followers should uh, respond to that. I always, cause I always, cause I always tell them in these conversations, I'm like, I hate that, uh, take homosexuals, for instance, they're treated worse. Uh, and then, and the, but how the church has treated them. I despise the way that the church has treated, um, people who are, are, um, in that lifestyle are struggling with that. Um, and they agree with me and I'm like, well, I still, you know, I still don't think that that's the way that God's created and designed mankind to, uh, humanity to exist. And then that almost inevitably is they're like, well, like it, it is, it is a justification, um, particularly because of the, the humongous pressures of culture. I mean, like every young Christian is put into a place to where they're encouraged to deconstruct whether they know what that is or not, uh, because they have to, particularly if somebody in your family, um, or, or a close friend of yours. Yeah. Which is another thing I've heard. It's like, I haven't met people who deconstruct that also don't, aren't closely tied to somebody who is going through that. And a lot of times I, a lot of times I do think it is probably an attempt to justify it. Not because I can be nice to someone and do what I never think that I, the scriptures never told me to treat people that disagree with me poorly, regardless of how other Christians act. Um, I don't need to deconstruct something that is plainly false. Um, maybe you need to construct a better view of that if you aren't aware of that. Um, but yeah, it is a justification. I think it is a justification of, of personal desires or pressures from society. I think for a lot of people. And maybe that's a, a generation gap. Probably so, honestly. Right. Um, what I see and what I've had in my office is the parent. <laughs> yeah. And um, it isn't a justification. It is a... Um, How to love them well. It is what changes what changes in your interaction or your response regardless I, nothing nothing changes in how you respond and how you True. 
care for and how you uh, love and how you uh, interact uh, with with someone, um, regardless of of what your belief is on that. So there's there's nothing that changes about how you love somebody. I guess, I guess an analogy I think though is that if, if, to, truth will be a light a lamp. If everyone turns out the lamp, then nobody can see. And and I think we had a podcast the other day. It's like truth will set you free. I agree with you that that you know the parent or whatever they they shouldn't change how they treat their child, um, but they shouldn't throw out doctrine along with it to to feel better. I guess. And I don't think anybody I've spoken to yet is throwing it out. And honestly, I I, I have yet to have one of our church family members, um, and there's been a handful now. Not one has said, I disagree with scripture. What they're asking is, now what? Yeah. yeah. Right? And if you don't make it a place at the local church where I can live and walk through that, how do I do that without them, without you? And it's the same, you know, and, and, and they're, oftentimes their question is, whether it's, you know, someone in our church family or just folks I know yeah. is, you know, what in the, in the church family, um, <laughs> there's a, there's known gossiping. <laughs> yeah. Known. There's known, um, living together. There's known, you, name it, right? Um, we got it all. But we don't respond differently in how we care for those people. And we don't respond differently with how we talk about it from Scripture. Sure. We also really don't talk about some of those things all that much. <laughs> so why why the imbalance in that? And that's, that's I think, some of that deconstruction is um, the church hasn't been a place to be safe in walking walking those really difficult life journeys <clears throat> and you know i i i do think it's one of the things that that um as christ followers we have to look at not making us change our beliefs or truth in any way but in how do we stand and walk alongside and not just talk at Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and uh, I'm not, even this phraseology is probably, it would get me in trouble in some circles, but struggle alongside them, right? Bear under those burdens, whether, you know, whether they're the person or not. But like that parent asking, for instance, that parent asking how to um, love their child well or love their friend well, is, what's the, de like, is that deconstructing or is that just, what are they deconstructing if they're not tossing out the belief? That's where there's division, right? So, sure. Um, am I deconstructing faith or am I deconstructing church and ev evangelicalism? So I think the the question is, I don't even think they would say they're deconstructing. It doesn't right? sound like they are. But yeah. they're also looking at church, not necessarily our church, but church in general is not safe for me to have this conversation. 
and it's not safe for me to bring my child in here while they're walking through that journey. And I don't, I just don't believe that's what Jesus would have wanted. I mean, I look at yeah. who he hung out with. Sure. Look at who he called forward. Um, I read something the other day, I think it was in Acts, where the church was having, uh, they were distributing food and the, the, the Greek Jewish women were being overlooked um, by the Hebraic Jew, Jewish women when they were handing out food. And so they put in a leadership, you know, the, the apostles are like, well, we can't, we can't be waiting on tables, I think is how they say it. But what they put in place was a leadership that were Greek speaking Jews. So they, they, they put in leadership that was representative of that minority that was overlooked. And it was a way to say, we're with you. We see you. Okay. I, I'm just saying that. I know, yeah, I know there's differences, but I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, one, well, one of the important differences there is that feeding people is not morally inconsistent with agreed, agreed. the timeless truths of Scripture. So, yeah, I mean, this is a, I mean, this is a, a, a rope I walk a lot, and it. It seems like, especially in the last five years, it's just become that much more urgent in trying to figure out how, how you balance truth and love, grace and truth, is letting somebody know they're loved, letting somebody know they're welcome, accepted to be a part of the community without backing away from or soft-pedaling the hard truth of responsibility to scripture and i don't say i don't have it figured out i, I don't but, think anybody does but to wyatt's point earlier we're, we're now living in a society where if you don't tell me what i want to hear if you don't agree and affirm and applaud what i've chosen to do regardless of how inconsistent it may be with clear teaching of scripture then you don't love me and that's that's just not true and trying to to say i love you so much i'm going to tell you i don't have to be mean i don't have to be a jerk about it i'm going to tell you my understanding of what i believe god's trying to communicate to human beings about this particular thing or that particular thing and that is in a sense that is in a very real sense that is love i'll i'll stand in your path and wave you down from the impending danger and trying to do that without, you know, running people off or hurting them or um, making them feel unwelcome. It's, it is so, so difficult. It is. And the dialogue is so critical that oh, we keep huge. talking about it because um, I don't disagree that you got to speak that you, that you have to speak truth. We have to, that's, that is loving. Like it's not loving not to, to speak truth. Um, but I also think as church leaders, um, we have to ensure that our congregation as a church family are walking both of those things. So if. Which even then makes that even more difficult because how do you have 
a consistency across an entire congregation about where people are. Absolutely. And you and I, we, we know exactly what we're talking about in a particular yeah. scenario and, and how it was hurtful to somebody regarding a very particular situation. And yeah, I go, it, it wouldn't on that particular, in that particular moment, it wouldn't have mattered how delicate and kind and compassionate I might've delivered that news. The fact that two or three or five or six people in the congregation didn't embrace that sort of sensitivity, it ended up creating effect. Because here's, here's the thing. Yes, there is a culture. There is a culture of, um, if you, if, if you don't tell me what I want to hear, then you're not affirming who I am and you're not loving me. But there is also a culture of, I know what I know and I believe what I believe. And if you don't like it, you can go away. Yep. There's both. Yep. There's both. And, and so both need to be admonished. When you speak truth, one rises up. When you speak compassion, one rises up. Yep. Right. And it, it, there's a constant uh, balance between, between those things. And so I think it's our role as church leaders then to have our, our fingers on what's needed here. And, and again, it just like brings it back full circle to why the local church and those relationships, those conversations around a table are so important because that's where we get a finger on who's among us. What is the issue that we have to address among us? What, um, what's, this, what's the sin nature that's going around right now that we have to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> um, when I look at like the letters that Paul wrote to the different churches, there are particular things that he said was, you know, happening in the church and, and amidst the congregations where he was like, get these people out of here and st or stop doing this altogether, right? Like this is, yeah. seems like a poison that's going to spread. Um, they are particular Everybody is a liar. We all commit sins. There are particular people that whenever I have kids, I'm going to be far. I, my neighbor over there might be a liar, but he, he, you know, Paul's told lies. You've told lies. I would love to have you all over to dinner with my children. There are some people I wouldn't have dinner with my children because uh, it's my family, right? I'm in charge of protecting the, 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 these, you know, these kids and what, what they're exposed to. And, um, uh, and in the same way, I think the church has a responsibility too. I agree wholeheartedly that, that, um, it should never be, I believe what I believe, but like there are people who will celebrate whenever someone says there's man and woman. Right. And then people are like, yeah, there is, there's only man and woman. Like, I think th th there probably needs to be a recognition as well that in the church, the saying a very obvious thing that everyone's known forever is celebrated. Um, like Paul always talks about the slippery slope. If that's not an indication of being well down the slope, I don't know what is because it's like two plus two is four. And people are like, yeah, who's, who's celebrating that. Right. And, um, it's just, it's like, yeah, okay. Long story short. Um, I think that for it to be a family like feel mm, being, being 
knowing that the people you're around are kind of all devoted to the same thing. And, um, yeah, you can struggle and you can ask questions, of course. And I know that those things haven't always been allowed. Um, but it, it really does like what we believe about a thing really matters. Um, like Allie and I, the simplest stuff. I mean, you, I'm sure you guys feel it. You feel it every Sunday morning. I'm sure you feel it in your conversations. Like <clears throat> there's an uncomfortableness around, uh, most people in society because no one knows what they can say anymore. And, sure. um, I think that for the church to be a family, being able to say the obvious basic things of our faith is very important. Um, and, and anyways, long story short, the deconstruction thing is there's a, it's just a tight rope to walk because church after church after church have, have, uh, fallen to, um, maybe the division that is just progressive Christianity, right? Philosophically progressive Christianity. Um, and so whenever I'm looking at all these different churches, just basically toss doctrine out the window and, and maybe they didn't on their books, but no one knows what they believe. Um, that I see is very dangerous. And I think that Paul would have a lot of, uh, uh letters to write in regards to who's being allowed to do what. Yeah. I, and we could go round and round and round on this discussion. I think at the end of the day, Genuine love and compassion is the environment with which truth is delivered. And that changes how you talk about these things. It changes the energy and it changes the words and it changes the attitude. And so what I'm searching for in my life is this balance where I can, I can talk to the hard side of truth with a very gentle, compassionate side because it comes from a heart of love. And I'll always be at the risk of somebody not receiving it that way, but I, I have to answer for my motives. And so it's, you know, you can, you can go after the hard stuff in a very combative, insensitive, um, aggressive sort of way, and that's, that's toxic. I don't think that's boldness. That's just toxic. Or you can say, I know this is going to be hard. Let me, you know, and I, I do a lot of these disclaimers when I'm talking about like, it just, let me, let me have an opportunity. I just try to explain something, you know, just saying, I, I want so much for you to hear this from a heart of love. You may not agree. That's fine. But I just want you to hear. Um, I think at the end of the day, these really delicate, situations that we're encountering in our culture and have to speak to in the search for truth for our congregations is is really comes back to love surprising it comes back to do you do you truly have a love for all people or do you have a little bias toward you know this or that that you're just you're just needling you're just you know motivation yeah it all yeah. comes back to motivation and Love is the ultimate motivation. Love is not telling people what they want to hear. Love is telling people what they need to hear. But you don't have to do that and be a jerk. You don't have to do that and be, you know, ed, you know, have an edge to your voice or a, a finger in people's face. You, you can be very truthful without being very, without being me. I, I believe that I'm, I'm searching for that balance in my life. I just, even 
in the last few years, when I know a sermon's taken me in a direction that is going to kind of put me on that, in that delicate place with people throughout the congregation on a certain issue, I just have really worked hard to say, okay, how you couch this, not, not avoiding it, but how you couch it with attitude. And I don't know if I get it right all the time, but how I couch it, how I say it is really, really critical, but backpedaling away from it doesn't, doesn't help. And it, and it is disappointing because again, you and I are thinking of a very particular situation. You got the two or three people who they don't, they don't have that heart of compassion in that, you know, regarding that issue or that thing. And so they end up voicing their, you know, their opinion about something in a way that I never intended to communicate it. And it's kind of maddening. Yeah. And it's where the, you know, that family's still with us. Yeah. Because the relationships that they have, have no, developed you, as family, yeah, yeah, that's where that becomes important. But you you brought up a really good point. I'm not saying I didn't consider it. I didn't know how urgent it might be is if if we have that kind of an atmosphere, even if it's just a couple of people who, you know, want to voice their opinion or their approval with something I said at the risk of hurting somebody, well, I have to teach that. I have to say, well, let me shepherd let me mentor, let me guide. You may, you may be coming at it from a really inappropriate heart. It may be truth and you agree with it, but you're the motivation that drove you to kind of celebrate publicly what I had just said, not really being sensitive to somebody in the audience who might uh, be in that situation. We're being so evasive. I know. I know. Well, <laughs> Our listeners are like, what, what in the world are they talking what? about? But, um, you know, one other piece to you, Paul, just real positive thing. I, I love, 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 love that we are all in on our next generation because it really is foundationally identity in Christ, like who you are in Christ, who he's created you to be, who he's designed you to be, beginning that when they're little and staying with that all the way till, you know, I'm not saying it avoids all struggles and all the things, um, but it's a foundation that you lay that really speaks into the identity that people are searching for, because at the end of the day, it is a desire to be loved and accepted and um, belong, yeah. belong, belong. That That is so huge. And so, you know, starting with our next generation, just ensuring that we are talking about this identity in Christ and who you are. I, I was listening to a, a speaker who, this is his whole world. He talks about these things and written books and stuff, but he had a young lady on who um, grew up in the church and heard um, those identity kinds of things. Um, she was a softball player. She got pulled into a world where she, when she was searching for who she was, that she felt like, you know, God didn't create her like this, you know, gorgeous cheerleader person that everybody thought, you know, was the bee's knees or whatever. Bee's um, knees. She, there's an old phrase for you. Um, she, 
she got pulled into that world and, um, you know, really questioned who she was and uh, ended up doing some surgeries and things. And um, But there was a church in her young 20s who she stepped into as a he, and that pastor and his wife didn't have any idea, right? Love, 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 no matter what, like uh, allowed all the questions and felt safe enough to have this conversation about uh, his journey, her journey. And through that process, came to the conclusion on her own, going back to scripture and that foundation of who God had made her, where she had a question, you know, did God mess up? Did God screw up? Or did he create me for a purpose? And ended up, you know, coming back around to that discovery of who God had created her to be. But without that foundation at the beginning and without that yeah. church and those pastors on that journey being willing to allow the questions to not allow other people to be um, abusive and hurtful, came back to who God created her to be. And I just found that so profound yeah. and such a great reminder for us that um, amongst us might be this young lady who is now this young man who is still struggling and we would not know. And so it still needs to be okay for them to have that struggle sitting in the back, dipping out, you know, like, like we've seen, um, and us being aware that that may be among us and being aware that that's growing, that that identity struggle is growing. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, Satan is using to divide um, Christ followers, to divide the church. Um, I think gender stuff is being used to divide the Somehow, church. Yes, it is. Um, you know, I don't know how, but it is. All kinds of things that are being used. And we as, as church staff just have to constantly be, in my opinion, constantly have to be having these kind of conversations to keep us accountable you know i agree I, I, there's a piece of me um that worries that the things that um would help solve this problem at least amongst people who who grew up in the church um is is to give let's just, I mean, a lot of this comes down to, to gender and sexuality. It's like, is to give them a very good idea and to have examples of both incredibly godly women and incredible godly men and, and to teach them what that looks like. Right. But doing that is the very thing that you have to now tiptoe around so much. And so the very thing that I think would help solve a lot of these issues for our next generation can't even occur because, um, because we're so, because we, we, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we do it in a mean way. I'm because we get so worried, um, about possibly offending someone is that we can't even apply what I, I would say is, is the fix. Does that make sense? Yes. I understand what you're saying. Um, I just. In my mind, it's much more of a long journey process than it is just the delivery of truth. Sure, sure. Um, 
I mean, I agree with you. The seeds of love have to be planted, consistently toiled, uh, watered, and and what's the word? I'm gonna, um, whatever, cultivated, tilled. Tilled is the word I was looking for. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Farmer Kristen. Yes, Farmer Kristen. Um, it. It has to, it has to be allowed to, you know, happen over time. But when we get so panicked about, oh, you're living this way, and I must turn you away from it, it just yeah, creates no. a toxic aggressiveness that sure, really shortchanges the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in the whole process, and we end up becoming the, the spirit doing that work, and it's. We never do it right. I agree. All I meant was like we know. Yeah. So you can you can track you can track um, the confusion around these things by the conversation that's that's occurring in the culture. Okay. So if 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 the problem, and not, again I agree with everything you just said, but if if the problem was caused by how we were raising up our kids in our next generation and 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 and, and talking to them about these issues. Well, maybe if we correct the way we talk about these issues in, into more a biblical world worldview case, and and also like because this is the problem of our day, it really is. The church has faced all kinds of different problems throughout their day. I, it might be pertinent that the church start really doing that and well in a loving way, but also doing that well and being very intentional with it. Am I making sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting to me. That our guest today is one of those people who thinks our podcast goes way too long. And we just set a new record at two hours and seven minutes. Now, the last one she was on. I was going to say, I think was really long the last too. one was, it was like two hours and 30 minutes. Way. This was being cut up for sure. Yeah. I went into it knowing this was going to be cut up. I think I have a tendency to stir the pot just a little bit. No, you don't. So. Uh -uh. <laughs> That's not how I see it. No, no, we're it's good. We're, it's good dialogue. It, we're it's asking important conversations. Import, we're asking yeah. important questions and trying to have a dialogue around stuff that's really complex and really complicated and you know incredibly dicey. And you know we're we're just wrestling with it, trying yeah. to make sense of it. And I love the spirit of both of your hearts about it. Is how do we balance truth with compassion? Because that, that is what Christ calls us to, and that, that is what the scriptures teach us. And we're trying to figure out how do we do that in our lives as people? How do we do that in our lives as pastors? And then how do we shepherd a congregation towards? So I don't see anybody stirring a pot. I see us <laughs> talking about real life things that yeah, we're facing. And, you know, and I, I would say to people listening to this, this podcast, um, um, we're, we're risking, you know, having the dialogue on a podcast. Right. And yep. that's okay. And that's important. And so just like being able to ask the questions in church, like be okay with the dialogue, even if we, even if we mess some of that up a little bit yeah. and that, um, the more, the more conversations, um, church leaders and church leader volunteers and our church family can have around this, the more apt we are to come to a place that's healthy but yep. the more we don't talk about it and the more that we just get upset about it or are fearful that we're going to say something wrong yeah. you know, like you mentioned Wyatt um, the worse it's going to get 
So I, I'm just grateful that you're willing to have the, the conversation on a podcast where um, that's risky. And maybe that is the different, you know, in, in the local church is the different is that um, we, we, we become um, a church willing to have those difficult conversations yeah, and throw it out there and be the model for that. I agree. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's having the conversation and, and also, you know, saying like, Hey, we believe this, but we're going to have the conversation and make it more than just here's our one line about whatever said belief. Right. Yeah. Yep. Cause just from the stage is not a conversation. No, no it's no. not. So. And, and, I mean, there's both and both are necessary because it's both like the building up of yep. the body, but then also those different outlets were a lot more nuanced. I mean, that's what I, I put on the, when I was making the tagline for this podcast is like a lot of these topics require nuance and back and forth and there's other questions and, um, and you don't get that from just listening to somebody say something. And I think this happened last time, like the, the end of our, you were on? the last time I was on, we now we're end, seeing the common denominator here. We ended the conversation sort of like back where we started the conversation. I'll have to go back and listen again. But I really think that's where we ended today was ultimately then relationship is key. You know, those connections, those dinners, those circled up tables in the auditorium that Paul's going to do, um, that becomes that becomes the key to being um, Church. an impactful, different than our world, local church. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the church in its most simple and profound um, demonstration is relationship. The gospel is relationship. God is relationship. Faith is relationship. It's all about relationship. And when we somehow shortchange the time and the energy for relationship, we're missing, we're missing them. I mean, when Jesus said, I will build my church, he was essentially talking, I'm building a community of relationships. I'm not building buildings and structures and departments and ministry programming. I'm building a revolution of relationship. And the closer any church can get to embracing and facilitating that, I think is closer to the truest expression of what the church is. Agreed. More to say, but that sounds like a pretty dang good place to stop. <laughs> I agree. Well, I enjoyed it. Kristen, thanks for coming back on. Yes, thank always, you, Kristen. Always look forward to it. Thank you for it. having me. Well, and I always appreciate because um, I think you probably look at it a different way than both Paul and I do from, from um, I don't know, a softer edge, I guess. Because like, I know that you don't disagree with us fundamentally, which is, which is, which is uh, the comfortable part. Because I guess the, the, one other thing I would say is like, uh, my closest relationships, the ones that are like my tight knit group, um, we might disagree on small things, but the fundamentals we agree on, and that's important. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to have strong relationships, like your best friends, you probably agree with a lot on. Um, it helps you trust them, and you're going to you're pointed at the same way. So, anyways, but um, yeah, it, it, it's nice to because because Paul doesn't counter my uh, straightforwardness as much as you do, so that's nice. <laughs> I mean, whatever way you explain it, um, Kristen has this 
huge heart of compassion around everything that she does and every interaction that she has most every interaction yeah there's uh, that justice button situation yeah press my justice button uh, yeah but Kristen. even yeah, yeah, even, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> even that's driven a lot by your compassionate heart and um whether that's gender related or whether that's the spiritual gifting and wiring that god has given you that compassion is a wonderful gift to the body of christ certainly a wonderful gift to our staff team and to our church and you know why it has a very intellectual very scholastic very um apologetic sort of nature to him and i don't i don't like to think that i'm lacking compassion i have this other bent you know i'm very like wisdom oriented and practical how do i make our faith work kind of thing so i think the beauty of having different personalities and giftedness and passions in a conversation is that you have a much clearer understanding of things because you you hammer it out absolutely and the beauty like you were just saying the beauty we, we share a fundamental commitments to where none of us gets up and walks out in the middle of the conversation because somebody said something we didn't agree with i go well i don't agree with you but Let's hammer this out a little bit more and see if we can at least have an understanding. And, and I think maybe the beauty there is that we end up possibly modeling for Christ followers how you have delicate and difficult conversations without being mean or blowing people up or, or walking away enemies. I mean, if we can model some of that, I feel like that's, that's a good contribution to the bigger picture. I agree. We are mm -hmm. also all different generations. That yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because like I wouldn't, because I wouldn't say that you and I lack in compassion. It's almost like a, a how a, te a technique or how you enact that. I guess that compassion, because like, um, no, I you know I absolutely would not say the two of you lack compassion in any. And I don't way. think that you lack the way that we're looking at it either. Um, no, no. Didn't mean to you know, I, no, 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 I, no, you didn't. I was just saying like, um, cause like I, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like what we've currently, how we've currently treated the situation is making the problem worse. And I care a lot about all of these kids who are like yeah. going through all this junk and like, I'm going to have kids. And like, there's a reason why I'm going to homeschool them and put them in private school. Like yeah. it's scary. And, and, and it breaks my heart to see stories that are increasingly in, in number coming out. And so anyways, sure. but yeah. Yeah. You know, the, I also, yes, it's our giftings are all different. Our generations are all different, but I'm just going to say it because I can. I do also think it is helpful to have male voices and female yeah, voices. Yeah, without a doubt. And it, it is, it is helpful. And that's not raising one above the other, or any of those weird things that we're people, I mean, it is because <laughs> we're different and God made it that way because <laughs> we need each other. Right. I mean, that's, yep. that's how that works. Yep. So exactly. You know what? 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I introduced an experiment to our church regarding having men and women serve as elders, husbands and wives united together as one and bringing both of those perspectives and voices to the situation. And I think, I think we've won a hundredfold because 
the way that God's designed and created women and the way that God's designed and created men, it's together that they best reflect the image of God in yes. us. And I feel like Sibilo's really um, benefited from having a full expression of the image of God speaking into our midst. And so that just affirmed, I couldn't agree with you more about male and female voices are the best way to have helpful conversation. Paul, I think the other thing that you've done, and I, I noticed this the other day and I meant to say something to you, but um, seeing Wyatt and when he was teaching and then watching uh, Jake and Caroline and Savannah, and there was another one I was thinking of. It was that moment like your willingness, you and Charlotte both to, um, oh, and bringing on uh, Jared and mm. Ashley, of course, right? This whole like younger generation listening to them. And you're so good about listening to that that generation. And so is Charlotte too. And I think that is also hugely important and, and different than yeah. a lot of churches do. And I think our congregation is better for it because we're, um, that makes us more um, attuned to the things that that yeah. generation is facing. And, you know, Wyatt, you're, you're the first to say, hey, this is an issue in, in our generation. And I don't know that we would necessarily, we'd know it's there, but I'm not sure we'd talk about it talk, if it wasn't for the talk next about generation. It yeah. From the same credibility. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Charlotte and I had a conversation probably two months ago. Um, you know, I'm in what may be my last 10 years of, you know, professional ministry in the role that I play um, before retiring. And she and I talked about how do we want to finish? And right at the top of our list is we want to we want to invest in some young leaders over the next 10 years that will leave our church in good hands. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful for Wyatt and the opportunity that God's given me to have him in my life and make that investment with him particularly. And Charlotte, she just loves Karen and Jake. I mean, like her own kids. And we've had some opportunities to have them over for dinner and just beginning that investment in them. And, um, I do. I think, I think that's, I think that's discipleship. Mm -hmm. I think that's the nature of, you know, passing it, paying it forward and passing it on to a next generation. And, um, so whether we're talking about men and women serving together very much as equals, or it's talking about investing in a next generation, it's, it's all the heart of how do we leave our church in a healthier you know, place by the time we finish up what we're doing. And, you know, one of the things that I brought with me, I won't pull it out and read it to you to bore you, but um, I'm listening to a, a lady who, she was a PK, a pastor's kid uh, all her life and just went through a whole bunch of what we're talking about today. Um, and she went back to her home church and uh, it, it was just a beautiful, um, a beautiful conversation about legacy. And that, you know, the legacy is 
that next generation that comes through. And so when she went there for, I think their, I don't know, 50th anniversary or, or something like that, um, you know, it was, it was this beautiful reminder that those, if you stay in a place long enough, you are raised to stay in a church. That's her whole, her whole thing. And she said, and the beauty of that is then, you know, there is this legacy that happens that, you know, Wyatt has deep roots here at Cibolo Creek. And someday, you know, you're going to be like in Paul's shoes, looking back at this next generation that, that you raise up. And there's so little of that left in our society because oh. of, you know, the, what you said, just the, the way that we do life now. And so, you know, I, I would just say like looking back, which feels weird to say at, you know, 50 something, but looking back, like having stayed in a church for a lot of years growing up, even though it was ugly, was roots. Having kept our children in the same church for all these years, again, not an easy journey. There's a yeah. lot of mess there. Sure. But it's, that's, that's a foundation that I trust will leave that legacy of um, running this race well all the way through. Persevering. Yeah. Persevering. And that's what we're called to do is run the race with perseverance. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Well, enjoy it, friends. We need to have Kristen on more often. We do. You just need to block out more time. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. kidding. It's just yeah. an entire day. <laughs> Two hours and 23 minutes. Wow. You can get like three episodes out of this. Yeah. That's even longer than Tom Patterson. What? (laughs) Tom's long. Yeah. Just kidding. All right. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. We hope you enjoyed this presentation of Cibolo Creek Community Church. If you did, please consider supporting the ministry of our church. Your donations make a difference. To check out more resources or to share a gift, please visit us at CibeloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.